I would invite you to take your copy of God's Word again with me and, and open it to the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 112 this morning. Uh, the Psalms are right near the middle of your Bible, so open it near the middle and hopefully you'll find it there. Uh, if you end up in Proverbs or uh, Isaiah or something like that, turn a few pages backwards. If you land in Job, uh, turn a few pages forward and uh, you'll get to uh, Psalms uh, very quickly. Psalm 112. This morning as we uh, conclude this series called Blessed, Psalm 112, Blessed is the man, as the first verse says, who fears the Lord. A question that we, I think, often ask ourselves and, and would find that culture is regularly asking itself is, how can I be happy? How can I be happy? Anybody ever struggle with not feeling happy? You don't have to raise your hands. <laughs> don't want to embarrass anybody. How can I be happy? I wonder if you've ever Googled that. How can I be happy? Other people have. You wouldn't be weird if uh, you have also. This morning, I thought it might be fun to Google or ask Google, how, how can I be happy? And see what Google would tell me. Does Google have any wisdom to help me be happy? Well, Google itself doesn't. It's just a search engine, but it'll point you to places that, that may or may not. As I Googled the question, how can I be happy? I found that WebMD, uh, which is where everybody goes to catastrophize every symptom that they have. But WebMD has seven steps that you can follow to being more happy. Psychologytoday.com has 23 ways to be happier. That's several more than seven. <laughs> Healthline.com has 27 habits to help you to be happy. WikiHow, which is a fun uh, a website if, you're, if you need like visual illustrations to figure out how to fix the brakes on your car. Uh, WikiHow has several steps that you can follow to be happier with illustrations to accompany it. I don't know how, I, I looked at it, I, I don't really find that they were helpful illustrations, but they pay people to draw pictures, so. Lifehack.com is a lot easier than WebMD. WebMD has seven steps to being happy. Lifehack, Lifehack.com will give you five easy steps in order to be happy with yourself. How can I be happy? Well, the internet has a lot of advice. No doubt we all feel the desire to, to be happy in life, to, to feel as though we're in the, the right place in our life. To be more than content, because happiness is, is more than just mere contentment with what we have, right? We want to be fulfilled. As we've been seeing this whole month in the Psalms, the Bible gives us a number of ways to know happiness. Uh, the way that the Bible speaks about happiness is not by calling it happiness, but by, by speaking in terms of blessing. And that's been the key theme of each of the Psalms that we've looked at over the last several weeks. Psalm 1 uh, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Psalm 84, blessed is the man whose trust is the Lord. Today, Psalm 112, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Scripture has a lot of helpful ways to know happiness, to know fulfillment, to know more than contentment. And most all of the ways that the Bible encourages us to know happiness, to know blessing, to know godly contentment, have nothing to do with what these popular websites tell us about finding happiness. In fact, Psalm 112 sums up for us what nearly all the other blessed are statements uh, of the Psalms that we've looked at have to say in just one phrase. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. 
the beginning of a happy life, there's just one step to the beginning of a happy life. It is to fear the Lord, to worship God, to live with a reverent awe and humble praise of the one who made the universe and everything in it, including you. One step to being happy, fear the Lord. The main idea of Psalm 112 is that there is happiness in God for the one who worships the Lord, who lives by God's commands, who reflects God's own generous and righteous character in the world. There's gladness uh, in God, uh, gladness in the life of the one who relates to God this way, who lives this way. The main idea of the sermon this morning, if j- just in one sentence, is this, that there is blessing, there is happiness, there's gladness of heart for the one who lives by godly worship. You want to know how to be happy? It starts with living with godly worship. As we see this truth uh, displayed for us, communicated to us in the Psalms, I, my, my sole intention for us this morning, my sole hope for us this morning, is that we would begin to walk, to live a happy life in God, not by following a bunch of steps that Google encourages us to follow, but by starting with the one place that Scripture encourages us to, by worshiping God. Living all, living and, and, and doing all that we do out of a heart of worship to Him. So I encourage you, would you please stand as you're comfortably able as we honor God by reading His Word, Psalm 112. The psalmist writes, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and the righteousness and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with a man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. You may be seated. Psalm 112 tells us there is blessing for the one who lives by godly worship. Blessing for the one who fears the Lord. Now, before we look at Psalm 112 this morning, I think it will prove helpful for us to first see Psalm 112's connection to Psalm 111. You've probably often heard uh, from faithful Bible teachers and pastors that in your personal Bible reading time, anytime you're studying the Bible uh, and you're reading a passage, you need to also read what comes before it and what comes after it to see where that passage fits in its context. And the same holds true often for many of the Psalms. The, the Psalms, 150 of them, are not arranged at total random. There's an intention in their arrangement. And Psalm 112 comes after Psalm 111, not just because that's the order that the numbers go in, but because Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 are connected. So with your Bibles open, uh, look back and forth with me at the connection between these two Psalms. Psalm 111 has its focus on God, who himself works wonderfully among his people. And Psalm 112 has its focus on the person who fears the Lord and the results of his life, the results of her life. 
These two psalms are arranged uh, almost in, in parallel together. So watch this. Both of the psalms, 111 and 112, begin, their first words are, praise the Lord. That, that collective call to worship of God, hallelujah in Hebrew, praise the Lord. Now Psalm 111, look how Psalm 111 ends in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. How does Psalm 112 begin? Blessed is a man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So Psalm 111 ends with encouragement to find wisdom by fearing the Lord. Psalm 112 begins with a wise man who fears the Lord. Psalm 111 verse 3 says, Full of splendor and majesty is his work, the Lord's work. And his righteousness, the Lord's righteousness, endures forever. Psalm 112 verse 3, almost in parallel fashion, says wealth and riches are in his house, the wise man's house, and the blessed man's righteousness endures forever. Psalm 111 verse 4 says, the Lord has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Psalm 112 says of the blessed man, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. Psalm 111 verse 5, speaking about the Lord, says, He, the Lord, provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. Psalm 111 verse 12 speaks of the blessed man who deals generously and lends in a similar way to how the Lord provides food for those who fear Him. Psalm 111, 7 and 8 say this of the Lord, the works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Of the blessed man in Psalm 112, verse 6, the psalmist says, For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. So the Lord's precepts are established forever. The memory of the blessed man is remembered forever. Of the Lord, Psalm 111 says, He sent redemption to His people. He's commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. Of the blessed man, Psalm 112 says in verse 9, He has distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. These two psalms are connected by the very person and character of God, which is itself revealed in His saving works in the history of His people as Psalm 111 recounts and rejoices in and, and through the commands that He has given to His people in the Scriptures. And it is God's character, which is the very character uh, that is reflected by the blessed man of Psalm 112 who fears the Lord and delights in His commands. These two psalms about God and about the one who fears God are, are in, written in almost parallel construction to one another on purpose and for a purpose that we might see that the blessed man is the one who fears the Lord and whose character reflects the character of God in the world. There is blessing for the one who fears the Lord, this gracious, merciful, kind, redeeming, saving God that Psalm 111 tells us about, shows uh, the, the, the one who worships that God has all kinds of manner of blessing for the one who worships God. So Psalm 112 has for us much practical wisdom that the fear of the Lord brings blessing. So let's look at the practical wisdom of Psalm 111. First of all, as Psalm, uh, so, excuse me, Psalm 112. As Psalm 112 says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, we get the first characterization of what that blessing looks like in verses 2 and 3. The first aspect of blessing for the one who fears the Lord, who lives by worship of God, is a full life. Now, we could define a full life uh, a number of ways. What does a full life look like? 
Well, a full life looks like at least three things uh, according to the psalmist. First of all, a full life is characterized by having a blessed family. And to worship God and to love His commands produces a godly view of marriage and family. To love the Lord who created the world and everything in it. To love the Lord and what He has said about Himself and His design for humanity leads us as men and women who are following the Lord to organize our marriages and organize our homes and and lead in our family the way that God has designed for us. One scholar, Derek Kidner, says that the biblical idea of generational continuity, right, that, that, that... you are not just living for yourself, but, but in some ways your life is a reflection of those who have lived before you and your life will impact those who live after you. The idea that your life is not just about you, but it points in two different directions in time. This idea of generational continuity pushes hard against our present culture's emphasis on individualism. Our culture would have us, would want us to think that, that our life is all about us and what we're doing today. But scripture says, no, it's actually... It's actually about far more than that. And and your life is in some way a a, a reflection of your parents and their parents before them and the way that they've influenced you. And your children's lives will say something about how you have influenced and shaped their lives as well. The life of one who worships God is full in the sense of having a blessed family. One who realizes he's not living just for himself, but for those that he is influenced for. A man who loves the Lord will also love his children. And we'll see to their care and flourishing. Why? Because God values children. And God has given to men and women united in the covenant bonds of marriage the responsibility of raising their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. A man who worships God and loves his plan for the family teaches and strengthens his children to, and disciplines them to love the Lord. He cares for his wife the way that Christ loves the church. Godly women who love what God has said about Uh, 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 about marriage and about the family, uh, follow the Christ-like leadership of their husbands. The first mark of, uh, of blessing for the one who fears the Lord is a full life through blessed family. Family blessed by God as, as it carries out his design for the family. But also, a full life, according to Psalm 112, also looks like great contentment. There is in verse 2 a reference to a house full of riches and wealth. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Verse 3, wealth and riches are in his house, in the house of the blessed man, and his righteousness endures forever. Now, we shouldn't read this first part of verse 3 as an automatic promise of blessing to the one who loves the Lord. That would be the wrong way to read this passage. Like, if I just worship God, he'll make me rich. That's the prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. Friends, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Don't believe it. Instead, this is a characterization, it's a poetic way of speaking about the person who knows the value of hard work is given by God, the one who has learned to be content with what he has, the one who's learned to be content with how he has saved and and content in the provision of God for him. To be wealthy is not just to, and to be considered rich is not just to have lots of money. There's lots of rich people in the world that don't have enough money in their own eyes who are fighting and, 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 and kicking and screaming and clawing for just one dollar more when they already have billions upon billions to their name. Having money, a, a, an abundance of money, is not what makes you healthy. It's not what makes you rich. It's having contentment, having gladness with what God has provided for you. So a full life looks like having a blessed family, having great contentment with what God has given. It also looks like having a good reputation, 
The last part of verse 3 mirrors perfectly uh, Psalm 111, verse 3. His righteousness endures forever. The unending righteousness of God is reflected in the life of the man and the life of the woman who loves and worships God in all that they do. A person who fears the righteous God can expect to have a reputation that reflects the reputation of God. God's reputation is one of righteousness, of perfect, unending perfection, sinlessness, uprightness, moral standing. The one who loves the Lord and all these things about him will reflect those same things in their life, will have a reputation that reflects that of God. And obviously not the same reputation as God, but one that people look on, ought to look on favorably. Someone who lives a life like this can walk in confidence before God, knowing that he has no hidden sins, knowing that he is repenting of all known sin in his life, in her life, and seeking to do what is for the good and the flourishing of others out of a heart of loving service. That's the kind of righteousness that God has. It's the kind of righteousness he intends for us to have. And that kind of righteousness is a marker of God's blessing in a full life. The fear of the Lord brings blessing and the picture of a life that's, that's full of, of these things, blessed family, great contentment, good reputation. But the blessed life of the one who fears the Lord also has the, the blessing, the upshot of having favor with God, as verses 4 to 6 tell us. Verses, verse 4 begins, light dawns in the darkness for the upright. Now the image of light dawning for the upright man, for the righteous man who fears the Lord, this is an image, it's meant to be an image of God's favor. Light is almost always contrasted with darkness in Scripture as a picture of God's truth, of God's justice, of His mercy, His provision, over against lies and injustice and wickedness, light, light and dark, life and death are contrasted, godliness and ungodliness contrasted in these ways all throughout Scripture. The blessing of the presence of God, the light of God, is for the one who fears Him. And this comes because the one who fears God reflects God's character. Psalm 111, verse 4. We said these two work in parallel. See it one more time. Psalm 111, verse 4 says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, recounting even what God says about himself in Exodus chapter 34 when he appears to Moses uh, saying, I am the Lord, gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and mercy, forgiving the sins and iniquity of generations. Psalm 111.4 tells us the Lord is gracious and merciful. Psalm 112 verse 4 says, The blessed man is gracious, merciful, and righteous. And the Lord demonstrates His presence with those who worshipfully reflect His character in the world. Those who fear the Lord, who is Himself gracious and merciful, live in ways that are gracious and merciful, reflecting God's or demonstrating God's own presence in their life to shape and transform them. In the same way that the psalmist says in Psalm 112 that it is well with the man who fears God and deals with generosity and justice, so also is true of the Lord. And justice, more than anything, has to do with impartiality. That's, that's really where, where the, the root of justice is impartiality. God himself does what is right regardless of who is standing in front of him. That, that's what it is to be just. He doesn't look... God does not look on the wealthy person. God doesn't look on the mighty person with more favor than the poor person or the weak person. In fact, throughout Scripture, God regularly condemns those who show favoritism to people who can, who can profit them something while neglecting the widow and the orphan. That's unjust. For such a person who loves the Lord, there is 
light and blessing from God. The righteous, gracious, merciful character of God is reflected in the life of the one who worships God as they reflect God's righteousness and impartiality, His justice, His grace and mercy in the world. The favor of God is also found not just in His presence in their life, but the favor of God is also found in being remembered by others. It's something quite together, I think, captivating for the life of the human to leave a legacy, to be remembered a certain way even after we die. It's something to be remembered for things that we have done, for the way that we've lived our lives, for having a particular sort of reputation. Now, there's a lot of things that will get you remembered in this world. You can, be, you can be remembered for doing really, really bad things. You can be remembered very, very well <laughs> and very clearly for doing very, very bad things, right? Quick example, Hitler is remembered very, very well for very, very bad things. It is possible to have a reputation that, 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 that exceeds your life, to leave a legacy for generations that come after you for doing things that are the exact opposite of godliness. It's also possible to be remembered by others in good ways and for doing good things, for doing things that reflect the, the, the goodness of God, the grace and mercy of God in the world. You throw out a few more names of people who are not infamous, but maybe who are famous for doing what is good and right and godly, even in difficult situations. People like President Abraham Lincoln, who led the country through a hard time for cause of justice in overturning slavery in our nation. People like Mother Teresa, who give their life and serving desperately poor and malnourished and under, um, uh, 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 underprovided people in the world. There, there are ways to be remembered and leave a legacy of positivity, uh, uh, and not just positivity, but of godliness. Favor with God looks like being remembered by others long after you're dead for living a godly life for living with justice and generosity. Proverbs 10, 7 says, The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. It is a blessing to have a memory, even after you die, to leave a legacy of godliness. And that's a picture of God's blessing in the life of the one who worships Him. There's a third aspect of blessing here. There's a, a full life, a favor with God. Third, a firm foundation, verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 of Psalm 112 says, The blessed man who fears the Lord and delights in his commands is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting the Lord. Verse 8 says, His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. His is a life blessed with a firm foundation. Now, the immediate application of these verses was to a culture where invasions and battles against hostile neighbors were a regular threat. You may not be at war, and you don't have to be at war to know the threat of bad news cancer diagnosis, death of a family member, loss of a job, missing the cut for a team that you tried out for, losing, lo looming budget cuts at work. All of these kinds of bad news have the capacity to melt the heart of even the bravest people. But here's the truth that's on display for us in Psalm 112, that trust in the Lord stemming from worship of God and a knowledge of God's goodness leads to emotional stability. The one who fears the Lord is not afraid of bad news. Faith in God and His sovereign power that He is over all and in all and through all and control of all things reminds us that there is nothing outside of God's control and sovereign allowance. And this truth puts fear at bay in the heart of the one who loves the Lord. 
Proverbs 3, 25 and 26 says, Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence, and he will keep your foot from being caught. The blessed life for the one who fears the Lord looks like a full life, favor with God, a firm foundation, but also, in verse 9, a free heart. A free heart. Already in verse 5, the psalmist has spoken about the blessing that comes to the one who acts, who lives in generosity, out of a, a worshipful approach and relationship with God. And here he highlights generosity again. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor, the psalmist says. To have a free heart is, in some sense, to be able to hold all things in life with freedom, to be used by God for His purposes. That's what it is to have a free heart. In the case of verse 9, there is the blessing of being able to give freely to the poor, to distribute wealth without concern for it being repaid. And when your trust is in God, who is Himself the source of all that you have, and He is the one who holds back all that you do not have, when your trust is in God that way, when you fear the Lord, worship Him that way, you are able to live with a freedom from your stuff that allows you to give freely of your stuff. If your assumption is that you and your work are the reason for your status, for your wealth, then it's more likely that you'll begin to idolize your work. You'll idolize your wealth and you'll hold all of it more pridefully and more tightly. You won't have a free heart if you think that you are the source of all of your life's provision. On the other hand, the Bible beckons us regularly to look to God who himself has provided redemption from slavery for his people, for slavery from sin and who gives and takes away according to His holy and just will, because everything ultimately belongs to God, and everything is ultimately up for God to do what He pleases with. When we're able to live this way, it frees us to be generous without expectation of compensation to those who are in need. The one who lives with a free heart that reflects the grace of God has his horn. A horn is a picture of reputation, a picture of a person's name, of their strength, of their power. Has his horn honored by God. God honors those who live with a free heart, giving generously to those in need as he himself has given generously to those in need of salvation from sin. Put differently, God honors those who live and give freely in compassion and care for others. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Blessed how? Well, it's blessed with a full life. He's blessed with favor by God. He's blessed with a firm foundation. He's blessed with a free heart. Then Psalm 112 gives us at the end in verse 10 a prayerful warning, a prayerful warning against wickedness. Psalm 112 is a wisdom psalm. It contrasts two different ways of living. There's the wise way, which is fear of the Lord, and there's the foolish way, which is the way of wickedness. Psalm 112 verse 10 tells us that wickedness brings destruction. The final verse of this poem gives a warning about the results of the wicked person. And the short end of it is this. The wicked person hates God, hates those who are godly, hates those who love the Lord and who live like Him. They gnash their teeth in anger at God and at those who reflect God's character in the world. But in the end, they melt away. Their life, their efforts in contradiction to God and puffing themselves up all come to nothing. In contrast to the one who loves God and who loves living for God, the wicked person is not blessed but cursed. But their curse is not something imposed upon them just by God. The curse of the wicked is something that they themselves have wished for. 
And not that they wish to be cursed necessarily, but in despising God, they have despised all the blessings of a life lived in worship of God. The person who hates God hates all that he gives to those who love him. So their wish is to have nothing of God and nothing from God. And God is just in giving to them what they seek, not blessing, but a curse. So we have practical wisdom, way to live. Fear the Lord. These blessings are for those who fear him. And there's a warning that wickedness brings destruction. You may be thinking, but I know a lot of people who don't love the Lord, who live in a lot of the kind of ways that Psalm 112 is talking about. They're generous, they're kind, they're compassionate to the poor. So what's the difference? What Psalm 112 plainly illustrates for us is that whatever way you're living today ultimately communicates a lot about what you think is ultimate in life, what you think is best, what you think is is grandest to live for. Psalm 111, the companion to Psalm 112, our text today. Psalm 111 extols the work of God and the person of God as being ultimate, best, that which is par excellence. And so the vision of a blessed life in Psalm 112 follows after that. Those who love this mighty God, those who love this saving God, those who love this gracious and merciful God live as He has commanded us. And they are happy They are free, they are joyful, they are secure. But maybe you don't approach life as a Christian. Maybe you approach life like a Buddhist does. And and you live with kindness and generosity, maybe in a lot of the ways, uh, except for the worship of God part that Psalm 112 encourages us. Maybe you live life like a Buddhist and you live with kindness and generosity toward others so that you can achieve enlightenment and spiritual escape from the suffering of this world when you die. Maybe you are or you think like a Hindu and you live a particular way, doing good deeds for others, acts of devotion, hoping to overcome bad karma from a previous life in order to be reincarnated to a better status in the next life. Maybe you don't approach life like a Christian does, but you're still kind and generous, but, but you, you believe like a, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints does, like a Mormon does seeking to live well in this life and to be generous to other people so as to increase your likelihood of attaining glorification and specific rewards from God, maybe even to become a God in your own right in the next life, to rule over a planet of your own dominion. Maybe maybe you're, you're kind and generous to other people, but you're not a Christian. Maybe you're just a materialist or a secular humanist. You don't believe there's any God, but you live with kindness and compassion toward other people because You just simply feel it's the right thing to do. It's the decent thing to do. Now, if you're not a believer and if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or a a Latter-day Saint or uh, or maybe a secular humanist, but you're living with kindness and generosity in the world and decency to other people, to to all of those positions and worldviews, I still would say, yes, care for the needy and kindness to, to all people is a decent way to live and conduct yourself. And I would rather you live that way than, than pursuing wickedness and selfishness. And at the same, at the same time, I would also say to all those who live according to those other worldviews, that kindness for kindness' sake, or kindness for your own sake, so that you can get something from God or in the next life, is ultimately an incomplete way to live. And in fact, it's, it's not just incomplete, it's a detrimental way to live. It's a deficient way to live. That kindness for its own sake it's not really a kindness at all. In fact, kindness in each of these circumstances, the one who, 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 who does it out of a different worldview than that of a biblical worldview, is ultimately self-oriented. 
The Buddhist is kind to others so that she may achieve ultimate enlightenment for herself after she dies. The Hindu is compassionate so that he will ultimately be given a better life in the next go-around. The member of the Latter-day Saints is moral and generous so that he may ultimately be given something in the afterlife as his reward, gaining some sort of thing from God that he doesn't have already today. The secular humanist, the materialist, is kind ultimately because she has determined that her moral compass is the best. I'm kind and compassionate because I feel it's good to be kind and compassionate. And people will look at me well. Now here's where Christianity differs from all of these other world systems. For the Christian, kindness, generosity, compassion, grace, mercy, the kinds of things that the blessed man lives with, as Psalm 112 says, all of these things are not practiced in order to ultimately receive anything from God or to receive anything from anyone else. The blessed man of Psalm 112 doesn't do these things to, doesn't live this way to get something from God. He lives this way not to fulfill some moral obligation that he's placed on himself. Instead, the Christian's generosity, the blessed man's compassion, the Christian's godliness is not done to get something from God, but out of gratitude to God who has himself spared no expense of his own glory and power to save us from sin. Virtue, kindness, compassion, generosity. In the life of the Christian, the, 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 the life of the blessed man in Psalm 112 is not practiced to get something from God, but it's, it's lived because we've already gotten what we could never deserve or earn for ourselves from God. 1 John 4, 9 through 11 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation. That means the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. We don't live the way the blessed man lives in order to get anything from God. We live the way the blessed man lives out of a love and a worship and a freedom that God has given to us from our sin. Here's the beauty of Christian generosity over against every other form of, of generosity in the world, that it's not about us. Generosity is not for us in any way. It's all about reflecting the compassion of God as he's given it to us in Christ back out into a world that we believe needs to know Christ too. In Christ, the Christian already has the unmerited promise of heaven. So we don't give in order to get heaven. In Christ, we already have the undeserved but blessed love and favor of God. So in our compassion to the needy, we aren't trying to please God more. In Christ, we have the perfect law of God fulfilled in our place. So when we're kind and compassionate and generous to others, we're not trying to uphold a standard, but we're trying to live by the standard we've been saved from sin to flourish in. Living a blessed life out of worship for God is not in order to get anything from God, but because we've already been given by Him all that we ever needed. Amen. So at in light of Psalm 112, there's plenty of ready application for us from this psalm. First of all, worship God. <laughs> love who God is. And love God as He's revealed Himself to us in Scripture and in His Son. See God's design for our just and generous living and, and then do all that you do and worship to Him. Start there. It's a good place to start. Second, be generous. Be compassionate to the poor and the needy. God has been compassionate to you and generous to you in giving you every breath that you, re that you breathe and, and all the more, everything that you need to be saved from sin. 
Everything that you have and everything that you lack is from God and His wisdom. And knowing that, we're obligated to use all that we have for others in ways that reflect His generosity. So worship God. Be generous. Third, find your security in God and not in people, not in circumstances. People will disappoint. Circumstances will change. But God is the only constant in the universe who will never leave nor forsake those who are His. So fear Him, worship Him, and you will not fear people or fearful situations. Fourth, repent of sin and seek God. Turn from wickedness and selfish living to see the wisdom, to see the life, to see the blessing of living as God has intended you to. Do not suffer the fate of the wicked, but turn from sin. Call on the Lord for salvation. Begin a life of blessing the way that Psalm 112 describes it. Now, these are helpful points of application for us from the psalm. And I think they're faithful to the point of the text. But if we only read this psalm as a list of to-dos or as a list of things that we can hope for if we'll worship God uh, for a happy life, we've missed the beauty of what this psalm ultimately points us to. It does not. This psalm does not simply direct us to how to have a blessed life. But it sets before us the picture of the perfectly blessed man. And there is but one of the many in all history who fills out the picture of the blessed man of Psalm 112 perfectly. And it's not you. It sure as heaven isn't me. The one who fulfills this picture of the blessed man perfectly is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. I put before you that Jesus is himself the blessed man of Psalm 112. He is the one who keeps the commands of God perfectly fulfilling them. Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Jesus says, do not think I've come to abolish the law of prophets. I've come, I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus himself, though he had no children of his own, is the father of, of a great offspring, a great number of people. Isaiah 53, 10, this prophecy about a suffering servant who would die for the sins of the people says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. How can Jesus, who had no offspring of his own, be the father of many offspring? Well, Galatians 3, 29, Paul tells us that if we are Christ's, then we are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Jesus keeps the commands of God perfectly. He is the father of a great many people by faith in his name. Jesus is the one who is enthroned as king and his righteousness is never failing. Psalm 112 verse 3 says his righteousness endures forever. Hebrews 1.3 says of Jesus that he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power and after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The light of God shines on the life of the blessed man, but Jesus is himself the light of the world, who is himself gracious and merciful. John 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is the one, the blessed man, who deals generously and distributes freely to all who are in need, who seek him. Matthew 5, verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in, poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 teaches us that we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. What generosity! Jesus is himself the one who is unmoved in power. It's a blessing 
to have a firm foundation, but Jesus is himself the one who is not moved by anything. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Paul says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything in history is headed toward his praise. He does not move, he moves history. Jesus himself did not fear evil, but he trusted the Lord. It is a blessing for the one who fears the Lord to not be afraid of bad news. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, Jesus in the garden on the night that he would be betrayed went a little further. He fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He knows what's coming. He knows his death is imminent and the torturous, excruciating way that it's going to carry out. And at the same time, he prays in that same verse, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is not afraid of bad news, even the bad news of his death. Hebrews 12, 2 says that we ought to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the blessed man of Psalm 112. He will destroy every adversary, the greatest one being death itself. Psalm 111, verse 9 says, excuse me, verse 8 says, His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 and 26 tells us that Jesus must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. He is King of kings, Lord of lords. He's the Lord of life who rules and reigns over all things. Psalm 112 is for you. It is for us to know where there is blessing and what blessing looks like as we fear the Lord and live this way in the world. But ultimately, Psalm 112 is really about Jesus. Jesus is both the God who works wonders of Psalm 111, and he's the blessed man of Psalm 112 who provides salvation and victory over sin for everyone who believes. When Christ is trusted for salvation, friend, there is a change that occurs in the heart of the one who trusts him to go from serving self to serving God. From living for what I think is best to living for what God has designed is best for all mankind. So be blessed, my friends. Follow Jesus in faith. Serve God out of worship for who he is and what he has done for you in Christ, the blessed man. Worship him and do all that you do in love for him and his gracious power in your life. Be blessed. How can you be more than happy today? How can you be blessed in all circumstances? How can you know the kind of life that is abundant and unshaking, truly free, blessed by God? We start by worship, by fearing the Lord, trusting His Son, Jesus, to completely reshape your perspective on happiness. Christian, I ask you, what lesser attempts at being happy do we need to repent of today? Because they don't begin with worship of God and trust in Jesus. Friend, you who are not a Christian, who's living by some other worldview, What keeps you from experiencing the blessed life that God promises to those who fear Him? The question for all of us is whether we'll set those things aside today, trust Christ, the blessed man par excellence, and start a walk toward a better definition of blessing and happiness. Shall we pray and ask God to make us faithful to do this?